0: glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Devin Neal. First John chapter 4 beginning verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another. Let me just pause there real quickly and say this, this command to love one another is found 13 times in 12 verses in our New Testament, 10 of those are written by John, either in the Gospel of John or in 1 John. We said that last time we dealt with charity. So I'm not talking about just love, but the command to love one another. The Spirit of God saw fit to tell us 13 different times in our New Testament to love one another. Now, let me just, as I said, I want to pause for just a minute. If I was going to leave my home for the day, and I was going to leave uh, my two oldest boys in charge, as we often do, and I said, now look, while we're gone... This is what's going to happen. This is what needs to happen. Make sure this gets done. And let's say uh, I told them five different times, don't forget to turn the sprinkler off. Don't, because if you leave the sprinkler on at our house, it makes the well go into default if it runs too long. So don't forget to turn the sprinkler off. And I say it once. And then I say, oh, I know I told you once, but I just want to remind you once again, don't forget to turn the sprinkler off. And let's say in a two-hour period, as we prepare to leave our house, my wife and I, I tell my boys five times, don't forget the sprinkler. What would you assume? You should assume a couple of things. It's very important, number one, that this gets done. What else might you assume? No offense to the boys, but if I don't say this repeatedly, it's something that's not going to be on your mind. Meaning you need to hear this often or it won't be paid attention to because it's not going to be what's on your mind. If God told us something 13 times in 27 books, what do you reckon? I'm just guessing, number one, it is very important to Him. Now, it doesn't mention all the other inferences that we're supposed to love one another. I'm talking about by direct commandment. Our Lord and Savior said, and I'm telling you this, love one another. Th- just those words. There are times He says, as I've loved you, that you would love one another. And maybe the exact words aren't used. So I'm just talking about that phrase 13, ver- 13 times in 12 verses And a lot of those written by John who referred to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved, meaning he knew what what love looked like because he knew Jesus Christ. And he said, I know what I've received, and therefore I understand what we're supposed to give. And so then the idea of loving one another tonight, number one, it's very important to God. Number two, he has to say it over and over again so that we might not forget it. Because we're going to be prone not to love one another. The most natural thing... I know, and and you would think, you would think by the time you hit 41 years of age, you'd grow out of this. But the most natural thing for me to do is to be self-centered. If I wake up and breathe, I'm thinking about how I feel, what I want, what makes me happy. The only thing that intervenes in that is the presence of someone else who's not selfish, and that's the Spirit of God, and has to remind me that is not the way you're supposed to think. Now... That's the old way. The new way is, what does your wife need? What do your children need? What do your brethren need? What does the lost world need? You today are to serve, not be served. If it weren't for the constant reminder and work of the Spirit of God, we are naturally self-centered people. Pride is in us like blood flows through our veins. See, why are you saying that, Pastor? Because we need to understand the nature of the flesh is utterly corrupt, and is selfish. And so, if you and I listen to our fleshly impulses, we're going to live self centered life. It's when we listen to the Holy Spirit of God that we live what the Bible calls love, which is, we looked at it a few weeks ago, uh, ultimately it's selflessness. And so, then, in these verses, verses 13, uh, 7 on down through uh, uh, 16, we began reading there. We're told to love one another. It's obviously important to God. Let's continue, verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. And this was manifested, the love of God toward us, because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us... We ought also to love one another. No man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us and his love is perfected in us. Hereby know we that we dwell in him and he in us because he hath given us of his spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love. And he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. Let me just say some things here. We're going to begin tonight, as far as outline is concerned, looking at the essence of love, which he discusses, deals with in verses 7 and 8. When the Bible says God is love, here's what we might be prone to do. Here's what I think love is. So I first, in my mind, define love, and then I know that's who God is. Wrong. Wrong. We first must know who God is through Jesus Christ, through faith in Jesus Christ. No man, the Bible says, hath seen God at any time. That is also stated in John chapter 1, verse 18, where it says, No man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. Meaning, outside of faith in Jesus Christ and him dwelling in you by his Spirit, you actually don't know God. People think they know God. They may know facts about God. Let me just put it to you this way. How many of you, have personally, you personally know one of our presidents? Anybody? You personally. So if they walked in the room tonight, they would say, oh, hey, hey, how are you? I mean, I say this. I've met the governor of our state, but if he walked in tonight, he wouldn't know my name from the next person. You may have met him. You may have met some. That doesn't mean you know them, right? I know who he is. I know who our president is right now, so do you. How many of us could give facts about the current president, the past president, the one before that? We had a president the day before election a few years ago. This is back when I was more politically excited. We went to one of his rallies. Hey, I got as close from me to Jim to him. Ooh, there he is. He wouldn't have a clue who I am. That's how many people are with God. They can quote you facts about God. They can tell you things that they know about him, that they've heard about him since they were a child, and you would think they know him. That doesn't mean they know him. To know God here is to know God like a child knows a father. My children tonight can tell you how loud I snore. They can tell you my favorite foods. They can tell you the foods I don't want to eat. They can tell you places I like to go and not go because they have experienced life with me. Right? We know one another. If a person does not know God in this fashion, the only way you can, by the way, the only way you could ever know a president is if somebody who knew him already introduced you. If someone said, well, I know him, and if you'd like to meet him, I'll introduce you to him, and you can now start a relationship, and you can say you actually know each other. Well, nobody knows God outside of being introduced to him by Jesus Christ. It is Jesus Christ who's the mediator between God and men, and outside of Jesus Christ, people may quote all the facts they want to about God, but they don't know him. Therefore, therefore here's why I'm saying this. If a person doesn't know God through having been born again, they do not know what love is. They may know some form, but I'm talking about this kind of love. Agape, unconditional love that is not based on the condition of the object of love. This kind of love is based on the heart of the person giving the love. You realize you can love somebody that is not worth your love. You can care for people who will never reciprocate that back to you. They'll never do anything for you. They're not worth the time of day, but because God's been good to you, you can be good to them. Truth? Truth? That's the concept we're talking about. This love is so much more genuine. There's substance to this. What the world panders is this. I will be nice to you as long as there is a benefit in it for me. Now, we don't say that, but I look at the philanthropy that takes place in our country, and I brought this up before. There's millions and millions and millions of dollars given by, by businessmen and women in the United States. I mean, they give billions... If we removed all their tax incentives, what do you think it would do to philanthropy in this country? It'd kill it, wouldn't it, pretty much? Then is it love? It is not. It may even be pity. How many know that pity is not the same as love? And so I'm saying all that is introductory tonight. The essence of love is God. The Bible says it repeatedly here. God is love. So if you want to know what love is... You have to know God. So the lost world out here that's preaching you're supposed to love people, they don't even know what they're talking about. People that have rejected Jesus Christ do not know what love is. How many of have ever heard of the document called A Common Word Between Us and Them, Between Christians and Muslims? And what happens is a number of Muslim clerics, I think over 500 Muslim clerics and now uh, better than 5 or 160 some odd Muslim clerics and over 500 so-called Christian leaders have signed this document saying Christianity and Islam have this one word in common and that is love. I got news for you, not a person that signed that document even knows what they're talking about. Because anyone that could, could unite Islam and Christianity and people call it Islam don't know God. Because they rejected Jesus Christ. And so the essence of love is God himself. Look at verse 7. The Bible says, Beloved, let us love one another. Talking about people in the family of God who've been born again through faith in Jesus Christ. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God. Don't miss this profound point. Mankind is completely incapable of generating love on his own. Can't do it. This is why marriages of lost people have worked, and I believe there is is a form of love. There's different forms of love in the Bible, but not the kind we're talking about right here, where people do care about each other and this kind of thing and have a mutual affection for one another, a give-and-take type of thing. Lost marriages, many of them have lasted years and years and years. But if you try to get those two people to genuinely love each other the way God says, it's a foreign concept to them. How many of you have ever heard somebody say something like this? Well, marriage, for marriage to work, you've got to understand it's a give and take. No, it's a give and give. I give whether I get to take or not. Right? Do lost people understand that concept? They can't. They can't because they don't know Christ. So love originates with God. Beloved, let us love one another for love is of God. Meaning... We belong to God, and it's only right that God's people should love one another because love comes from God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. Meaning those who exercise genuine love, they do that because they have the nature of God in them. You have the capacity to love because the Spirit of God is in you. What is the fruit of the Spirit? Now, the fruit of the Spirit is what's the first fruit? Love. 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 Love, joy, peace, long suffering, gentleness, so on and so forth. And so then love originates with God. It goes on to say, verse eight, He that knoweth not, he that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. The person that never ceases to live a self centered, self consuming life should step back and say, Am I really born again? They really should the person that can do nothing but live a self-centered, self-seeking life, that means they do not love. They don't love their mate. They don't love their children. They don't love, they don't love lost people. They don't love anybody. They love themselves. God says, that's a mark of somebody that doesn't belong to me because the evidence, the fruit of the Spirit of God is not in their life. And so what John is saying is if a person does not love, they're not, they don't know God. You, can, you know what he's trying to say here? You cannot know God without learning to love at some level. That doesn't mean we love perfectly. It doesn't mean we don't have room for growth in that area. But a person that doesn't love does not know God. And so then, he that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. So love originates God, uh, with God, and love is the mark of the children of God and those who know Him. The absence of love reveals a lack of relationship with God, because God is not present, so they, have the, they are incapable of, of truly loving. What is the first and great commandment? Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, with all thy strength. And the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. How many you know that if every other commandment in the Old Testament law hung on these two? We know that's true. So whether it was, thou shalt not make any other any graven images, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, why would you not do that? Because you love God. You don't want anybody to take his place. You don't want to misrepresent him. You know what God said? If you make a graven image, I'm going to kill you. Do you realize the threat of death was not enough to get people to obey that commandment? It It took love to obey that commandment. And do you realize without God and dwelling men, they were incapable of having the kind of love that kept them in line with that. Outside of God initiating love, we don't have the ability to initiate love for God. I've heard people say, I've loved God all my life. No, you haven't. I didn't start loving God until I realized how much He loved me. And then I said, how can I not love someone back that loves me when I'm the rat that I am? I'll tell you what has broken my will and keeps it that way is when I realize, why does God care about me? Why did God not discard me with last week's trash when I disregarded His word, disobeyed Him, knowing that He had saved my soul? Why didn't He just boot me right on out? I only have one explanation, because He is good. That's all I'm say, And that's the truth of it. It's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance and realizing god loved me when i was treating him horribly i wasn't thinking about what he did for me i wasn't submitted to his will uh, all these things and why did he love me because he's good and that kind of what, what this one is saying here when you've experienced that kind of love from god it produces in you you have to you have to re- reproduce that you have to duplicate that and so uh, the essence of love is God. God is love. And therefore we, with His nature in us, we ought to love one another because it's, it's our nature now that we're saved. God has put it in us to love one another because that's what, that's who He is. Number two. So that's the essence of love. Number two in verses nine and ten. And then we'll look at verse 19, the expression of love. God wants us to understand when it says God is love. Well, how do we know that? What, what does that look like? If you, Let me ask you this. How do you know? How many have heard, and I've never read the book, so I'm not going to either, I'm not going to prop it up, I'm not going to promote it. I've just, it's so very popular, I've heard about it, and I've mentioned it before. You've heard of the five love languages. Okay? So meaning, what do people do that signify to you they love me? Well, somebody may pay you a compliment. You may think, well, then I think somebody loves me because they compliment me. Other people may receive a gift. Well, they must love me, they give me stuff. You know what? God communicated his love for us through one event one event and that's what jesus christ did for us on the cross somebody said well god god sure must love me my income is oh look god will help he'll help our finances if we will trust him as far as meeting our needs he does do that but do you realize that god bestows blessings financially upon unsaved people who hate his guts why is america blessed financially today we're a Christian nation. No, we're not. We're not a Christian nation. We're a nation with a lot of Christians in it. And I'm thankful for that. But we're not a Christian nation. So why is it that God has bestowed so many blessings on us? Because he's good to the just and the unjust. His sun rises on the just and the unjust. It rains on the just. He's even good to the unthankful, Luke 6 says. You know, God is, how many of you have ever tried to be nice and kind to someone who's unthankful to you? Now, I'll be honest with you, there's a point where some people I say, if I continue to give to them, I'm helping them do wrongs. I've got to stop. We're not talking about enabling people to sin, but how many times you ever done somebody, and you knew, you knew be able to shout it out, so and is just using me. I'll be honest with you, you know what my natural response is? I ain't going to be used by anybody. Do you realize there are people that are more than happy to use God's resources, never acknowledge that he even exists, but they'll use them every day. And so what God does is he sends droughts and famines. and you No. Know, he makes the sun rise and set. He puts his rain out. Isn't that amazing? The fact of the matter is that uh, the expression of God's love is not, and, and, and may I say this, they don't realize God loves him. And I would even say this, all of that is not the primary way we know God loves us. By saying, well, you know, my crops came in good this year. No, that, that's not what it says. It doesn't say that your preserved health forever is how you know God loves you. It doesn't say, in fact, go with me very quickly to Romans 8 while we're looking at what does not communicate the love of God. Romans chapter 8. Could you and I have the presence of persecution, meaning our comfort lost, our freedom's gone. Could we have nakedness, meaning we don't have enough clothes to wear, hunger, loss of friendship, and still know that God loves us? Romans chapter 8 says, says this in verse 35, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation. That's, that's hard times, difficulties. Or distress. Or persecution. Or famine. Lack of food. Or nakedness. Lack of clothes. Or peril. Uh, danger. All right? Or sword. That has to do with being killed by violence. Verse 36, As it is written, For thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things, the things that are just mentioned, we are more than conquerors to him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know what I'm saying? If we have tribulation in our life, we're prone to think, God doesn't love me. If we have peril in our life, we think, well, God must not love me. We have distress in our life. We might think, well, God doesn't love me. People say, why would a loving God allow so many bad things? Why would a loving God do something so good as to send His only begotten Son to die for us? Why would He care? And we are thinking, listen, our brains are in backwards until we get saved. We can't understand why the world would not revolve around us and our happiness until we get saved. And then we realize we can't understand why God would let me not go to hell. Why would He have preserved me? Why would He have spared me when I've been so ungrateful, unthankful, unholy, and ungodly, and He was good enough to let me become His child anyway? What God is saying is this. The manifestation of God's love is what Jesus Christ did for us, meaning His love has already been manifest, and if everything else goes haywire, we still know God loves us because Christ died for us. I believe that's exactly what the Bible is saying because we know the presence of tribulation, the presence of distress, the presence of persecution, the presence of famine, nakedness, peril, and sword does not mean the absence of God's love. So let's look at 1 John, if you would, again, chapter 4. And I'm not going to get all the way through tonight. 1 John chapter 4, talking about the expression of His love, verse 9. And this was manifested, okay? Have you ever seen a manifest off of a... Uh, if you're going to drive up into Canada you're going to need to have a, a, a document that they're going to refer to as a manifest, meaning it's going to reveal what you have as contents in your vehicle or in your truck. Manifest means to make known, All right, it's, it's along the same idea of an invoice, something that outlines and makes something known. And so then the, the idea here would be, and this was manifest of the love of God, meaning God already loved us, but this is what demonstrates to us and shows us that he loves us. And this was manifested the love of God toward us because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. Herein is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us, and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins, meaning God sent his son to make full and final payment for all the sins of every man. And by the way. If you add anything to the work of Jesus Christ to salvation, we are, we are taking away and saying what Jesus did on the cross was not enough. His propitiation didn't quite satisfy God's demands. So it's Jesus' sacrifice plus my good behavior. No, no, no. We ought to behave well, but not because it has anything to do with propitiating us with God or reconciling us, but because we're forgiven and we appreciate God's grace then we behave right. So then this was manifested the love of God toward us because that God sent his only begotten Son of the world that we might live through him. Herein is love, not that we love God. We're in verse 10, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also love one another. Three things about the expression of God's love in verses 9 and 10. Number one, God initiated this matter. The Bible says in verse 10, herein is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us. And any person says, well, I've always loved God. We'll say it again. They have a false definition of love. You may have always been curious about God. May I say this? Friendly feelings towards someone does not constitute love. That doesn't constitute love. I may feel friendly towards you. I may think, well, I like your personality. I enjoy enjoy spending time with you. But that doesn't mean I would jump in front of a Mack truck to save your life. Right? So nice feelings about somebody, that doesn't necessarily mean we have an affection for them. It doesn't mean we love them. God's love goes so much further than that. God saw and knew our sinful state and before He ever created us, He knew what we would do with our will. He knew what Satan would do and He was well prepared for it. And when we acted in disobedience, God continued to act in love. And when man could not redeem himself, God says, then I'll become man and do it for him. Truth? What love is this? Beyond our comprehension, I'll be honest with you, I cannot imagine, I cannot imagine being born into a millionaire's life or a billionaire's life, having everything you want and looking on a a group of people who despise me simply because I have what I have. Meaning they look up there and they say, that guy, that rotten rich man lives up on that wealthy hill. He probably hates our guts. If I have a chance and he's not looking, I'll take anything he has. He won't ever miss it anyway. Can you imagine laying aside all your wealth to go become one of those people? To go walk in their streets, wear their clothes so they could not identify you as the rich man on the hill, knowing that they hate your guts. But knowing that to redeem them out of their state, you've got to go become one of them and let them kill you so that you can save them. From a human standpoint, and that's such a poor illustration, I cannot imagine even considering doing that for an ungrateful lot of people who hate me anyway but he did. We might die for our best friend. Friends, he died for his enemies. Did he not? That's what Romans chapter 5 says. This is the manifestation of God. Look, if we're tra- we, have a, we have a false gospel today that wants to help us think, wants to cause us to think that when your life goes smoothly here in this world, you know God loves you. That is not what that book preaches and teaches. If that's so, then the Father did not love the Son. But he did love the Son. <laughs> And the Son loved the Father, and so He obeyed the Father. And in our lives, don't look at your circumstances to determine whether or not God loves you. Look at God's book and what God did for you in Jesus Christ, and then you'll know He loves you. And it's that love that will teach us. Let me ask you something. How many of you ever felt like you are being mistreated? Well, of course we have, because you've been mistreated. Do you know why often you feel like someone's treating you wrong? Because they are. I understand we get martyr complexes, but in this world, you don't have to have a martyr complex to think somebody's treating you wrong. There are people that are unthankful, people who be unkind, and sometimes we get weary and well-doing and think, why am I serving God if people treat me like this? If they don't appreciate what I'm doing for them, why would I go ahead and continue to serve them and serve God? Why would I do that? And all you've got to do to solve that thing is go back to Jesus Christ. And look how he was responded to and even how he's responded to today. People don't have the time of day for him. He died for our sins. He left heaven, came to earth. What I'm trying to say is this. Man wasn't the least bit interested in God, but God in Christ Jesus came to man anyway because God was interested in man. Man would have been fine if God never bothered him again, let him live and die and go on to hell, leave him alone. Don't think we have streets full of people out there that just... Hungry after God. Unless somebody's crossed their path to tell them about God, they're not hungry after God. They may be hungry after His blessings. But no man seeketh after God. But listen here. God is seeking after man. Why would He? Why would God seek after us when we're running from Him? (laughs) And this is manifest of the love of God. Here it is. uh, In that, because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. How do you know God loves us? He sent Christ to die for the world. And by the way, just so we're very clear, God does not love a select few. You, you quote to a Calvinist, John 3, 16, will well, the world is referring to the elect in the world. That's not what it says, is it? And by the way, I'm glad it doesn't just say it there. It says it over and over and over that he tasted death for every man. It doesn't say every man that's in the elect. It says every man. And so this is the manifestation of God's love, that he gave his only begotten son to send him into the world that we might live through him. The integrity of his love is seen in these verses, 9 and 10. It says here, uh, and this was manifested the love of God toward us because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him here in his love, not that we loved him, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins, meaning he didn't just say he loves us, he proved it. He proved it. And by the way, he has. Ne- what else does God have to do for the world to prove he loves us? Nothing. He's proved it. He sent his only begotten son into the world that we might have life through him. If a person comes to Jesus Christ, and we have a room full of people tonight, you know God has saved you. Let's say from this day forward, your life on earth is misery for the next 30 years. After 30 years, what's the rest? If you're saved, and you and I have 30, and I, look, who in this room wants 30 years of misery? I don't, but let's say we did. Let's say everything went wrong. We lost our health, and we lost our finances, and we end up in prison for doing what's right and doing the will of God like Paul did. And Life is just on earth not a delightful thing. But you're washed into the blood of Jesus Christ, and you have eternal life. Then when you leave this life, what is it? eternal bliss. You know what 30 years of rotten misery is going to seem like when we're in heaven? It it won't even matter. The Bible says that what we suffer here cannot be compared to the glory that's going to be revealed there. Why do we need a message like this? Because we think of love like Hollywood teaches love or like we feel that love is. We think of love as receiving the benefits of somebody else's resources for my happiness. No, God already proved He loves us by sending His Son to give us life. And if you have His Son tonight, you have life. And that will never change. It's called what kind of life? Eternal life. Do we even realize what Jesus Christ has actually done for us? heard a message last night preached on hell. almost didn't listen to it because messages like that are intended for lost people. I'm glad I did. It does a few things for you. Number one, it reminds you of how gracious and merciful God has been. That I don't have to worry about spending eternity in hell because of what Christ is to me. Not what he has only done, but what he is to me now. He stands between me and hell. Amen? And so that makes you appreciate. Number two, it burdens you for those who are headed there. I'm just trying to say tonight, God doesn't ever have to do anything, and he does. He does. His benefits and his blessings are new every day. But if he did nothing else for us, he's already proven he loves us. The manifestation of God's love has integrity. He's already... He didn't just say, I love you. He demonstrated he loves us. But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And then we see a recognition or a, uh, uh, the instigation of his love. The Bible says in verse 19... So it tells us in verse 10, here in his love, not that we loved God but that he loved us. And look at verse 19, just to attach these two things together. We love him. Why? Because he first loved us. This is why an unsaved person can't really love God. They don't understand. Well, they've heard it. And the story may touch their hearts and warm them. But if you have received the love of God, the Bible says in Romans chapter 5 that his spirit spreads the, the love of God abroad in our hearts. I believe this. If you're saved... The Holy Spirit of God is not going to let you forget what Jesus Christ has done for you. See, for the unsaved person, it's just potential. I'll give you an illustration I gave yesterday in jail. And this is cheap, 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 cheap illustration, but it it communicates the idea. Let's say I go out here and say, man, I want me a big old nice house. And I go and I borrow $350,000. Nobody in their right mind would loan me that kind of money. No man in the right mind will go get that kind of a loan, but anyway, that's beside the point. I've got an I bar of $350,000, and so I said, boy, if we, if we pinch our pennies and we're real careful, we can afford this, but along the line, I want a new grill, and I want a new rifle, and I want a new boat, and I want ribeye steaks to go along with my nice house. And so I go and I <clears throat> invest in those things. Mortgage comes due, and I can't pay. Six months of that goes by, where I'm short every month until finally... I'm two or three months mortgages behind. The bank says, hey, you got a problem. We gave you this amount of money. You said you'd pay it back and you're not. You know what you deserve. I said, I I know. Can Can you be patient with me? So we'll give you three more months to get caught up. Three more months come and I've not learned yet. And now I'm six months mortgages behind by the time that's up. The bank calls and I don't answer and the bank calls and I don't answer and I'm avoiding them. I don't want to talk to them. Finally, a bank officer shows up and said, man, I've been trying to get a hold of you. I said, yeah, I know. He says, do you know why I want to get a hold of you? I said, yeah, you want to take my house. Well, it's not your house, actually. We want to take our house that you're not paying for. I get it. You you understand what you deserve, don't you? I do. I understand to be evicted and I get it. He says, but that's not what I'm here to tell you. You do deserve that. I'll start packing right away. Hold on, hold on. Somebody came to the bank last week. They heard of your situation. One of our own employees. And they have put up not only what you're behind on, but they have, they have put down the money to pay your house off entirely. <gasps> Seriously? Yes. Who is it? I said, well, it doesn't matter, but they've offered to pay it in full. I said, all you've got to do is come down and sign the papers and the house is yours. Said, you're kidding. Why would they do that? What do they want from me? guy says, I can tell you firsthand, this, this person is trustworthy. They only want to be a blessing to you. I said, and they work for you? Yep. And they know that I'm in this kind of debt? Yep. Do they know why I'm in this kind of debt? They realize I've been a, a fool with my money? Oh, they know. And they know all about you. And they're still willing to pay that off for me? I said, so what they're willing to do is get me six months caught up and then I got to go ahead and if I get back on track and get my act in order, then I'll continue to stay on course. He said, no, no, you understand. They'll pay what you owe past and they'll pay it in full. All you got to do is come sign a paper. I said, Wow. You know, you know what my house being paid off is at this point? It's potential. And I go around town and say, man, there's the nicest person in town. They have put down the money to pay off my debts, to pay me out of debt. Uh, I'm in foreclosure, but they're willing to get me out of foreclosure and buy the house. Isn't that the nicest person? It's just potential. There's people that talk about Jesus. Oh, what he did for us is so nice. It's just potential to them. But when I walk down to the bank and I put my signature on there saying, I don't deserve what's happening, but I'm willing to accept. At that moment, the money that's been put down is put on my account and I'm debt free and I own the house. Now does my feelings toward my benefactor change? Now I say, if they want me to wash their car, if they want me to vacuum their house, I'll do anything they need. Because it's a reality now. There are all kinds of people that love talking about what Jesus did for us, but it's never become a reality for them. They've never said, I understand the debt was paid in full, and all I've got to do is accept it, acknowledging I cannot pay my own debt and put my signature, that's what you do when you call on the Lord Jesus Christ saying, I realize you paid... Because he, Listen here. Here's what we owe God. We owe God perfect obedience. Does He not deserve that? How many of us have paid up? Not one... So we have past sins. So here's what God does. Jesus died, so all your sins you've committed can be cleared up to today, but now that you get that paid, you've got to keep it up or you'll still lose your house. That's a false gospel. He paid past, He paid present, He paid future. All I've got to do is accept what He did as my benefactor. And once you have, your attitude toward Him changes when you realize what He actually did for you. He cleared your sin debt so that heaven's not going to make a foreclosure on your soul. Isn't that wonderful? That's the love of God. That is nothing like what this world preaches is love. Jesus Christ paid what I owe to God. He offered up a perfectly obedient, sinless life that I could not offer. Paid it in full. He took for me all my penalties and fees for my sins, which is His death on the cross. And all I have to do is say, I accept. For those who sit here tonight say, boy, I remember when I accepted. Doesn't it make you glad you did? (laughs) Now, if I ask you this, what else does he ever have to do for me to prove he loves me? (laughs) Not a thing. And by the way, we love him because he first loved us. What did God see in mankind that made him say, you know what? I'm going to become man, and that man, of course, will be the perfect human being, and I'm going to offer him up because humanity is worth saving. Nah. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so tonight, we love him because he first loved us. You know what the fuel for separated, holy, godly living is? 1 John chapter 4. If he loved me so much, then I don't want to do anything to harm his people. I don't want to do anything to disappoint or displease him. Because of what he's done for me. Amen. The love of Christ constraineth us. Second Corinthians chapter 4, 5, verse 14 15. Mm -hmm.